Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Here is your host, David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. All right, Tarsha, welcome to Breaking Down Barriers. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Today's a very special day, and we'll get to it in a second, but I'd also like to Welcome, Evan Adams, our Senior Director for Data Science at Economic Impact Catalyst. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start first with uh, your origin story. So tell us, why are you doing this work, which is crazy difficult? It is very hard. (laughs) I think I'm crazy. (laughs) Setting that aside, uh, where did this all begin and what's your inspiration to do this every single day? Yeah, I think many years ago, one day I... I was just trying to figure out, like, what am I here for? Like, why was I placed on this earth? What was I placed here to do? And literally one day I woke up and it just came upon me that my whole purpose or mission is to inspire people to live their dreams through entrepreneurship. And once I realized that, I think just the doors flew open. Um, opportunities for me to live my mission, to live my purpose, to impact others, um, others that look like me who don't necessarily get the opportunities to start a business or grow their business. or And even if it's not have anything to do with business, it's just uh, being able to grow and develop professionally. So I just started this work 20 years ago just with that mission and I just allowed and just allowed things to happen and followed whatever path was laid for me. Tell us a little bit about the DEC network and what you do in Dallas County. Yeah, so the Dallas Entrepreneur Center, the DEC Network, is a 501c3 nonprofit. And our mission is to help entrepreneurs in the, the North Texas region start or grow a business, uh, connect them to resources and mentorship. And you know, we, uh, our main location is located in Oak Cliff, Texas, which is the largest neighborhood in the whole city of Dallas. And that largest neighborhood actually uh, population-wise is uh, about 64% um, minority. And so we're in a area that's a desert. It is a resource desert. It's a access to capital desert. It's even a technology desert. And so we try to support the um, entrepreneurs of color that are in that area uh, to bring them the resources uh, so that they wouldn't have to go outside of that own commun- their own communities uh, to get access to entrepreneurial education. Uh, to get access to co-working space where they, if they have a a home-based business or um, they just need extra office space, we provide that to them in that area. And also a a place where our community can come to to connect and engage with entrepreneurs. I've been there and uh, I love the story of what it's trying to tell, that if you're going to serve somebody, you're going to have to show up. Yeah. Right, you can't be in another part of town that's fancy and easy to get to, yeah. where the businesses don't look like the people you're serving, etc. And and I love the story of how the the revitalization of the region is the story of the business community as well. Yeah, 
So the Redbird area is the uh, area that the neighborhood or the center is located in. Uh, and that area, it is actually, it used to be in the 80s, like a happening place. Um, but then, you know, t as time went on, the some of the businesses, the retail left. And, uh, but then about five, six years ago, uh, a real estate developer came in to revitalize the area. Uh, the Redbird or Oak Cliff area has been getting a lot of press lately. I mentioned, I think I mentioned it's a food desert as well. I'm not sure how long it's been a food desert, but recently we uh, heard in the news that Tom Thumb will be moving to the area uh, because it's just those uh, individuals in that community didn't have access to, again, technology, food, uh, entrepreneurial resources. And so being in the community that's underserved and being able to uh, bring other resources from around the Metroplex to that region is very impactful. Um, so in addition to just trying to uh, help to revitalize that area is also to bring awareness and attention to the area's entrepreneurs who sometimes just don't get access to those resources that maybe entrepreneurs in the northern part of, of the Dallas area would get access to. Tell us a little bit about like the unique challenges that Dallas County faces uh, because I'm kind of trying to have to I'm trying to set up for the program that we're doing with you. So tell us like what's unique about the challenges that Dallas County has. Yeah, it, it is very unique. We we call ourselves the Big D. Now I was just in Detroit and they are, you know, they call themselves I guess the little D. I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. But we're the Big D. Mm -hmm. And you would think in a major metropolitan area that there wouldn't be limited resources for any entrepreneur, but specifically entrepreneurs of color, where in fact, uh, like I mentioned in Oak Cliff, it's the largest neighborhood in Dallas and 64% of that population are minority, black or Hispanic. You wouldn't think that a major metropolitan area such as Dallas um, and that has all the resources, there, there would be limited resources in a community uh, that is the largest community and 64% um, black or Hispanic. The major challenge is that unfortunately, uh, there's plenty of resources here, but the challenge is just getting all those resources together, uh, to work together, uh, to share information uh, in order to help the entrepreneur. What we find here in Dallas is it's so segmented. You have many, you have seven CDFIs in the area, five of which are nonprofit. Yet, there's still a huge access to capital gap. There shouldn't be an access to capital gap when there's seven community development financial institutions in a major metropolitan area. Um, so that's one of the challenges, but I think that challenge exists because there are so many guidelines and regulations that might prevent those entrepreneurs from getting access to those dollars. Another challenge is uh, not until recently, very recently, there was no network-wide or city-wide way to connect entrepreneurs to all the resources. So it was very fragmented. 
just like everybody else, people go to Google University <laughs> to learn how to do something. And yet, instead of them going to Google, we have business assistance centers. We have women's business centers. We have veterans centers. We have all of that right here in the Metroplex. Yet, people still say, I didn't know that these types of services existed. Or I don't know where to go or who to talk to to get funding for my business. So the major challenge is um, having a, a resource hub and having a way to connect the entrepreneurs to the resources. And let's talk specifically about capital and why we started working together. Yes. Right? Which five is five months it's been. But <laughs> a good five months. It's it's been longer. Yeah. It's yeah. It's from September. It's, yeah. <laughs> I know it's been it's it's but it's been a remarkable journey, and we've gotten to see firsthand the challenges, right? So, thinking specifically about capital, why has Dallas kind of lagged behind the nation? You know, even in just in terms of because it's not the lack of CDFIs, the infrastructure is there, mm -hmm. but in terms of access, is it because the of the majority? Uh, minority communities that exist in Dallas, and we haven't been intentional about how we support them. Like, what's why has Dallas been behind yeah. on this? Well, there's a, a lot of reasons why Dallas can be behind uh, or lag behind some of the other major uh, cities. Um, but I, I think just being in this ecosystem for the last 20 years, you know, I've had my own business. I've a lot of, many of the ecosystem partners have been my clients before. Uh, and so I've, I can see these things from different lenses, you know, from being an entrepreneur, from working at a business support organization. And I think so I see that the, the reason why these challenges exist is because um, perhaps there's just not that... Uh, one organization or a group of organizations coming together to really say, let's come to the table and try to solve this. Um, I think that in terms of the access to capital, there's just a variety of reasons why it's hard for those entrepreneurs to get access to it. Uh, lack of education. Uh, you know, We live in the Bible belt. This is the Bible belt. And most people, entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs of color, trust their churches. They trust their religious organizations. And we don't always, as an ecosystem, work with those religious organization, organizations that, mind you, each of those mega churches, there's probably five mega churches, like with more than 20,000 members right here in the DFW area. And many of them have economic development as a ministry. And that ministry focuses on entrepreneurship. So I think a, a, the ch part of the reason is there's not those trusted connectors uh, that know enough about uh, what some of the business support organizations and CDFIs do to be able to share with their congregation, to share with their members, you know, through their economic development or their own CDC uh, about the resources available for entrepreneurs. No. So let's talk about uh, today. Uh, share with us kind of uh, what this Entrepreneur of Color Fund work has looked like over the yeah. past nine months and what today was about and kind of what was your highlight from yeah. the day? Oh, it was so much. Oh, my gosh, it has <laughs> been nine months. Uh, I was going to say it's almost double what you said. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I, my 
I lost track of time, I guess. We've been doing important work. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it goes by so fast. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is I've been in my role for only 10 months. And on my very first day, I can remember it vividly. It was 11 a.m. because that was the first meeting I had on my first day on the job. And that meeting was with J.P. Morgan Chase. And the uh, representative there said, this is a project that we really want to see your organization move forward with. And I, you know, I hadn't even read or knew the, what the proposal. It was. I yeah. hadn't read anything. I didn't want to agree to anything. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take a look at it and review it. Um, but once I did take a look at it, and knowing what I know about this city and what I know um, as being an entrepreneur myself and the needs and the challenges, I knew it was something that um, we had to do. And we had, in, in order to be successful with it. I also knew that we had to build trust amongst the ecosystem and collaboration amongst the ecosystem. So this um, initiative started out as the Dallas Capital Access Initiative as a follow-up study to the 2019 J.P. Morgan Chase um, Next Street study, which was done obviously pre-COVID, uh, wanted to assess the uh, landscape for small business and try to get an understanding of what were the challenges. Now, that study identified about eight challenges, but in that study, they recommended the city focus on five of the challenges. Now, since 2019, some of the ecosystem partners have been working together on some of those challenges, like launching a platform uh, using a technology that would connect all of the funders, the training and education. So that was one of the projects. Um, the other project was creating uh, a, a program, a collaborative program where entrepreneurs of color and women would it get access to financial education and small grants. But that was an initiative. But the study back in 2019 also stated there was no affordable capital now, mind you, back in 2019, there were still at least, I would say, uh, at the time, five CDFIs present, but there was still no affordable capital. So fast forward to today, 2020, uh, this Dallas Capital Access Initiative is a follow-on of that study to, I, to study and identify why there's an unmet capital need. And the research, while we kind of knew that, if you've been in this space for a while, you just know because you've worked with entrepreneurs, you've talked to the support organizations, so you just know. But actually seeing the data, uh, it was mind-blowing. And so to know that a large percentage of the people surveyed for this study said that they, would not, they didn't apply for funding because they didn't think they would approve. And that over 80% of the Black and Latinx founders in this study uh, was not approved because of credit challenges. So it's real obvious, it's very clear what we need to do as an ecosystem to move the needle forward a little bit. Yep. Yeah, the data is, is irrefutable, right? And I think it's a good way to start a very difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And like you said, everybody knows about this. Uh, talk to me about 
why was the room packed today? Yes, it was <laughs> everyone that I wanted to be there was there. It was amazing. Yeah. I and you know, you were telling us how like half the people usually show up. It looked like everybody we wanted showed yeah, up. I think everyone <laughs> did, did pretty there is maybe one seat left, I, I think. Somewhere in the back. Um, but I think everyone showed up because everyone is tired of hearing the same story. As I said, the data wasn't, the information and knowledge isn't brand new. Seeing it in a study and seeing the numbers on the screen, that's new. Mm -hmm. But I think that it was so many people in the room, one, they were wanting to know, how can I be a part of this change? I'm tired of hearing the same issues. I'm tired of you know, talking about the same problems. I am ready for a solution. So I think people were in the room because they wanted to hear a solution that they could buy into. And I feel like based on the comments and the feedback, a good portion of them were ready to come on board. Um, so that's one reason why I think there were so many people in the room. And the other reason is because, as I mentioned before, since 2019, many, at least 40 plus business support organizations have been working together for the past five years trying to solve some of these problems. So we've already been doing this work and we just needed what's the next thing? What's the next thing to move this forward? And they were there to hear how we could do that together as a collective. Uh, and I think that's why so many people showed up today. And I think the messaging was spot on in that you all showed up and we need all of you. Yeah. Versus you all showed up and let's tell you what we need to do. Right. <laughs> approach that we have taken is from the start it has been collaborative mm -hmm. it hasn't been just one organization saying this is what I need you all to do it is let me get your feedback let me get your imp input on how do we do this what's working for you what's what's not working what are you seeing and so I think that's another reason why people came <laughs> in the room is because they've been a part of it and they have actually contributed to some of the recommendations. And they just want to know that, hey, be able to raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, I was a part of this from the beginning. And I, I gave my input and advice. So I think that's also why people showed up today. Yeah. And I think we did a really good job of making sure that we collected their voices and, and actually made that part of the solution. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people walked up and said, hey, I gave that. And yes. I said, yes, thank you. Yep. It was like all credit goes to the people, <laughs> right. right? We didn't have like a brilliant idea coming in. No. We were yeah. literally like, you tell us what the problem is and how you want to solve it. We'll just put it in a pretty document and share it back you with go. you. And sometimes people just need someone to facilitate a movement. You have people who were in clusters doing all these things in silos, right? And sometimes there just has to be a project or a program that facilitates the collaboration. And then uh, a person like, or a company like EIC to come in and facilitate um, a solution that, mo that people that already existed. Right. <laughs> that, that's been here since 2019. Yes. Yeah. So let's dream for a second. All right. So let's look back three years from now. What does the dream state for this program look like? Like, I know that we've got metrics and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if, if you had a wish list and said, you know, wow, this has exceeded all my expectations. This is like what I dreamt of. What yeah. is that dream? 
Well, first it would be based on that study. I can't remember the percentage. Maybe Evan can give it to me of the people who said um, I I didn't apply because I thought I would be declined. I think it was like 70, 73, is 73 right or so percent. So, Which is wild. Yeah, very wild. So three years from now, I would like to see that number drastically decrease. And it decreases because we have done our job, which is um, getting the message out, creating t uh, trusted connectors in the community, uh, providing that technical assistance pre and post loan. Because once someone may get a $50,000 loan to buy their um, conversion van, well, they're going to need more money. <laughs> and so if they get post loan TA to make sure they're paying on that loan and they're building their credit, then that gives them an opportunity to purchase more vehicles. As Jason said, a kidnap van. <laughs> I love that. He, he needs to go from a kidnap van to a real Mercedes <laughs> right? van, luxury van. Yes. He has a big hit. So, yeah, I think that um, just, just having uh, three years from now, having that number go down, um, I, I would love to see one, 200 entrepreneurs in that category actually get a loan. And, and hear the success stories. I want to see Jason Hendricks of Tide. I told him that I, as he was leaving, I said, listen, we primed you there and we can't let you down now. <laughs> yes, I would like to see him uh, have the knowledge, the education and the confidence to walk up into whether it's a traditional financial institution or a CDFI and say, I have all my ducks in a row. I know exactly what I need, and I have what I need in order to qualify for this loan. So in a perfect world, that's what it would look like. And of course, we have a lot of work to get there. Yeah, and uh, looking back uh, three years from now, also, I think another thing uh, that would be remarkable if there is trust in the network. Yeah. And I feel like that's been something that's really pulled Dallas down mm -hmm. because the assets are there. The dollars are there. The willingness is there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see change, though, a little bit. You already see it happening. A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. And the reason why I see the change is because now the funders, foundations, the CRA dollars, and even the federal government see that there's value in, in these nonprofits coming together to collaborate. That's why the SBA created SBA Community Navigator, yeah. right? Yeah. Because they want to see, like, why give a little bit of money here yeah. and a little bit of money there if we can kind of create a model where people are working together to solve one solution and that project or program is funded, um, it, it will be successful. And so I think a lot of uh, foundations and funders are kind of, moving to that approach of, you know, I even, uh, I am meeting right after this with a partner to collaborate on a grant. And that grantor was very specific in the grant proposal saying that you, we, you need to collaborate. Yes. Um, MBDA grant. Yes. That just um, not too long ago. It also had collaboration in there. Yep. So I think it's changing because the funders are going to force us to work together. Yeah, because they see the value. They see the value, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give you a second to catch your breath and ask me that one question. And while you're thinking about it, 
I'm going to ask Evan what his highlight from the day. So pick one highlight <laughs> from the event and tell me what tell us what your highlight was. Uh, and then Tarsha, I'll come back to you to ask me a question. David, does the audience know what an idiosyncrasy you have with asking people about the highlight from everything? You can start with that. <laughs> um, my highlight, I've never been asked on a podcast. I think my highlight was what Tarsha said initially, but I will change it, was that now we have an audience. Before it was a group of people that we had in rooms, and that was a task force, and that was important. Mm -hmm. And now we had literally enough people where it was an audience. I was seeing familiar faces emerge from the crowd and new faces emerge from the crowd. Uh, but I think the highlight would be, since I can't have that, would be all of the plaudits we were getting after, people coming up and saying, great job. I, people were coming up to me a lot after and saying, Tarsha did a great job, David did a great job. You guys really packaged this and sold it well um, and communicated the problem really, really clearly. So, and I was sincerely getting a lot of that after, so yeah. that was great. And I kept, everybody who came up to me, I would say, that's what so-and-so said. That's what so-and-so said, you know? Yeah, so what he's uh, referring to is, we, uh, I, I really believe in bookends. Uh, and oh, so, with the, with the yeah, so our team, they know, they, they don't even have to think about it. Every time we do a trip Every or time. an event or anything of significance, everybody has to state what the highlight from it was. It creates good bookends mentally totally. for us and allows us to wrap things up in a, in a way that allows us to reflect. Uh, and so reflection is built into our company. So that's why I was laughing because <laughs> I haven't been on a podcast. It makes so much sense. You'd be yeah. asked that from David. Yeah. yeah so. So yeah, so it what's your question yeah. for me? Anything? Anything? It's truly anything. Okay, so I noticed when you came back from your trip, your nail color. I know, I've been trying to oh, get rid of it since then. Could you tell us about the nail color? Yeah, so um, I've got, uh, I've got uh, nine nieces and nephews, and, um, and the thing that's been most, most amazing, I was reflecting on the plane ride back, I almost like I don't you know tear up easily, but I almost teared up thinking about how sophisticated and put together the kids of today are. We always think about oh these screens are going to ruin them and this is going to ruin them and that's going to ruin them. My 12-year-old niece was like, so what are your views on LBGTQ plus? Oh, and I wow. said, excuse me, <laughs> I did not expect to have this conversation in India with you. Uh, and they're put well so well together and and so poised and I'm like. We don't have to worry about the next generation. We just kind of have to worry about our generation. Right. Like we might mess things up so much that they might not even stand a chance yeah. to get it right because they are so thoughtful and intentional and respectful and they're learning and, and doing in real time. So, you know, what better way to bond with them that when, my, when I walked in, my niece said, I'm going to do a makeover than to just say, yes, I'm in. <laughs> and so I've been, I haven't been able to get rid of this makeover because I don't have nail polish remover. And I forgot to ask Evan if we could stop and get some. So on mine. <laughs> <laughs> and not yours. Like we could get stop and get some at a store. Uh, but um, yeah, so, you know, this is a reminder of, of, you know, it's okay to kind of, you know, let your hair down every once yes. in a while because you might learn a thing or two. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. That's yeah. a good point. So, yeah. So as we look to wrap this up, um, uh, you know, today was such an incredible uh, coming together. How are you going to make sure that you bottle this energy up mm -hmm. and get this to the finish line? Because that's all I could think of leaving us. Like, this was amazing, but this is just the start. Yeah. Right? So how do you see bottling this up? Because there is still a long journey. Like it it's is. been a long time, 
but the real work actually starts now. Now, it absolutely does. Well, we're we are not waiting for sure because next week uh, we actually our task force is getting right back together to debrief and start implementing breaking up into small groups and tackling one of the recommendations at a time, whether it be the um, outreach, the marketing outreach and um, sourcing organizations and groups and brainstorming of how we're going to do that, um, getting this RFP process. So I think now we're in the implementation stage and just really keeping that momentum going by keeping that task force and the people who scanned that PR QR code today and said, hey, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to partner. I do this. I do that. I know this person. I know that person. And I'm like, just scan the QR code. Yeah. And if there's not an option for you, hit other. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. just say, hey, yeah. let's brainstorm and come up yeah. with an idea. So really to keep that mo- momentum going is just to keep people engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really excited for how many people that showed up and said, okay, I'm in. Uh, I want to yeah. be part of this yeah. uh, this next phase. Uh, so uh, fast forward to the spring of next year. When do you see the actual implementation of the fund itself? Yeah, we're hoping to, uh, I'm very optimistic that we will be able to launch this fund in the first quarter of next year. Okay. Yeah. So we should have you back then, yes. uh, right, to kind of talk about the, the good and the bad, the good and the bad, and and the impact data, and the impact right, data. Uh, uh, from this. So last question: If people want to learn about this fund and the journey you've been on and where you're headed, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, the best way would be just to reach out to me directly, Tarsha at the DEC co, um, and or visit our website, the deck.co the deck.co. We'll have this in the show notes. Uh, can they also reach out to you on LinkedIn? And- yes, LinkedIn, Tarsha Hearns, all of the social profiles you can reach out to. Me, Perfect. Yeah. Can I do one last shameless plug of you? So, Tarsha went to the White House. I did. <laughs> oh, good idea. Can, yes. can I spend just you know, 30 seconds having you talk about that oh, experience? It's going to take more than 30 seconds, but I'll try. As long as you want. I'll I said try. 30 seconds, but you actually have the floor. Well, I've mentioned before, I've been doing, I've been, that moment I woke up and said my life's purpose is to inspire people to live their dreams through entrepreneurship. I have been advocating for women and minority entrepreneurs ever since. Uh, whether it was through NABO, um, mm-hmm. through their advocacy efforts, um, I actually opened the first SBA-funded Women's Business Center here in Dallas. And through that uh, opportunity, I was able to serve on a national committee that advocates for women's business centers all across the country. So a couple of times a year, we, for, for many years, for four or five years, I've been going to D.C. to meet with Congress and um, various legislators uh, to talk about priorities that primarily focus on women entrepreneurs, but also include minority entrepreneurs. And that hard work of advocating over the past four or five years paid off because one Sunday afternoon, I received an email. And in the subject line, it said, confidential, invitation to the White House. <laughs> and I thought it was spam because I'm like, ah, this is this looks like spam. But when I opened it up, it was the real deal. And so 
the work that we have been doing with our advocacy group, which is the Association of Women's Business Centers, um, got the notice of the White House. And because it was Women's History Month uh, last uh, in, in March, uh, the president wanted to invite us out to hear a briefing around um, his support and the, the programs that the Small Business Administration would be rolling out to support women entrepreneurs. So it was a, uh, it was like a, I mean, it was just an awesome experience, one of the best feelings uh, and experience that I've had. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, now I can, when I watch the news and I see that briefing room, I'm like, oh, I was sitting right <laughs> there. That's where I was sitting. <laughs> That's amazing. What else did you see in the White House? Oh, we, we took a tour of the East Wing of the White House and was able to uh, see some of the family photos of past presidents. Uh, we went to the tea room for the first ladies and, and many of the first ladies portraits are uh, around the White House. Of course, I got a chance to get a picture uh, in front of Michelle and Barack Obama's portrait. Um, and it, it was just a, a wonderful, you know, occasion and just to be in the presence of the White House. That's amazing. It's such a celebration, mm -hmm. right, of Women's History Month and the work that you are all doing to help women entrepreneurs. You know, uh, I think we don't highlight enough how hard it's been for women. I don't think it's been even 100 years since women have been allowed to vote. And, and the and only reason they got to vote was because the men thought they would vote with them. Right. And then it's only been 35 years that a woman could go to a bank and get a loan in her yes. own name. Prior yeah, to that, I know. That's just I'm insane. like, I was in middle school. And so, yeah, prior to 1988, if a female business owner, good credit, successful Doesn't business matter. owner, did not matter, she needed a male to co-sign for a loan for her. Yeah. We oh, have a long, way to, like go. long <laughs> way to go. <laughs> we have yeah. a long way to go. Yes. But it's work that you're doing yes. that's actually helping move the needle. Yeah. And I'm uh, and I lived vicariously through you when you said you're going to the White House. I was like, oh my God, it's such an occasion. Yes. Uh, and so thank you for sharing that moment with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, we will get all what you shared with us today in the show notes so people can find out more about the entrepreneurship work that the DEC is doing, uh, and uh, we'll follow up on the Entrepreneur of Color Fund. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.